for a lot of the non-birth giving parents, they may not want to be out for 12 straight weeks. You know, maybe mornings are a nightmare and they need to do half days, three days a week just to be there to help support the transition. And maybe that carries on longer than 12 weeks. I don't care. That's great. Do what you need to do. Here's what we can afford. You design your program. And so that was really kind of where this started, where I was like, okay, if it's parental leave, well, yeah, it kind of applies to everything else where everybody needs to be deciding their own things and not have me be deciding this for them. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, we've got a great show lined up for you this week. With us, we have Amy Sperling, the founder and CEO of a cool HR tech company called Compt. Compt thinks perks should be a lot less exclusive. She advocates for personalized perks to help all employees take care of themselves and their families. She's shaking things up in corporate America and leveling the playing field, offering her employees the same perks that she has access to, and she encourages other leaders to do the same. A seasoned exec with more than 20 years of experience in leadership roles, and she was recently named Boston CFO of the Year in 2016 by the Boston Business Journal. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Thanks for having me. So I'm super excited for the show, and I think we might have a first in our midst that we have a former CFO on the podcast. A lot of times we get a lot of really people-heavy leaders, not necessarily uh, the, the CFOs. So so welcome to the podcast. Looking forward to your diverse perspective. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, before we jump into it, I'd like to understand a little bit more about your, your journey and what prompted your perspective on what why HR needs to change. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, so my, my journey is I did start on the finance side of the house early in my career. I've been part of six tech companies prior to starting this one, but managed finance and HR and all of those back when HR reported to finance, which I'm very happy to see is not the case anymore. I think it's fantastic to have their own seat at the table as they should. Uh, but in doing that, my, my focus was always pulled much more to the people side versus the kind of ticking and tying the budgets. You know, you get kind of the old school CFOs that are, you know, only focused on the numbers and don't understand the impact that has on people. I was, I was more the opposite. I was much more focused on the people side of things because in any given company, I mean, that can be 80 to 95% of your costs are around your people. And so if you're not focused on how you're managing your team and kind of the structures you're putting in place, you're really missing the mark. And so that's where I kind of had this front row seat to how compensation was changing, the way, you know, candidates were negotiating for salaries and what their compensation packages looked like, how all of that was progressing and kind of got to see how this whole mix started changing. You know, 80% of our compensation is salary and health insurance for a large portion of our economy. And it's the last 20% where people differentiate, companies differentiate, and that's always employee perks. But with that become uh, is a big fat mess for both HR and for finance and gets very, very low utilization for employees. So I got really frustrated. My employees were really frustrated. My HR teams were really frustrated. So I was like, all right, it's time to go and fix the problem because nobody's building the solution I'm looking for right now because nobody was coming from finance or HR. It was all 
you know, people who are like, I don't like what HR is doing. I can do it better. Here's a tool. And you're like, you don't understand the 10 laws you just violated with this tool you built that you think is amazing. Like we have to do something different. Yeah, it's funny, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's one of the less flashy things about what we do in HR, but you know, tax and benefit compliance yeah. <laughs> is, is a pretty freaking big deal. It is. Especially if you screw it up. Right. right. You <laughs> so, screw it up. Yeah. It, it goes very, very wrong very quickly. So you need to have like that as the foundation. That is not the fun part of anybody in HR's job or finance. Like that is not the fun part of what we do, but you have to have that nailed to be able to do the cool stuff for the team. So I was like, all right, how do you get the really high level of engagement and do all the compliance stuff that we have to have um, rather than the cool stuff that just ends up creating this big mess on the HR's plate that is just really unfair, quite frankly. Yeah, you're, you're speaking my language. And, and, I, and I can speak from experience of, I, you know, shiny penny syndrome, right? So yeah. uh, believe me. I love that. I love a shiny penny, right? And it's like, oh, this is the coolest new thing. It's so yeah. novel. Nobody's done it before. Let's figure out a way to do it. And and like like that's just how I think. And and I get excited about those things. And then and then, but you've got to have that person on your team that's like, time out. <laughs> that's right. that's bigger than de minimis. <laughs> we got to make sure that that's, you know, works with our tax requirements. Right. I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? That's why you're on this team. <laughs> right. Well, and you've got to figure out how you do the cool things that are going to engage the team. The The shiny pen, penny syndrome is how uh, the tech companies in particular got us into this employee perks mess. There yeah. are thousands and thousands of employee perks that are pitched to HR every single day, like everything from a new wellness app, a new mental health app with, you know, student loan forgiveness, childcare, fertility benefits, you name the thing. There's some great stuff, but anything you bring in, less than 10% of your team's going to even use it. Like at the height, like pre-pandemic, the most out there perk I saw was branded fruit, where you could buy fruit that would have your company logo on it to give to your employees as if any employees are going to be retained by your company because they got an apple with your logo on it. Like this is not a great employee perk, but <laughs> pre pandemic, everybody was doing everything right. Right. When you start looking at things now, it's like, all right, it's not a, let's have the breadth of all these individual things that nobody's using. We need to have a way to reach as many people as possible. How do we do that? And that's what we've seen stipends really take off in the last 18 months because Every single person needs and wants something different. And you cannot do that with individual perk vendors. It's just not possible. And so that's where we've seen a huge shift in the market that's been really interesting. No, it's it's really interesting. And you know, I can I'm reflecting as you mentioned that, and I'm sure many of our listeners can can relate to this where you know, we, we just wrapped open enrollment, but at right. the time of recording this, it's like mid November, or as I call it, HR hell month, um, <laughs> it's just Accurate. Like, uh, open enrollments, you know, but I, I just, I can't tell you how many years it's like, let's, let's, we always want to make our benefits richer, right? And we're going through the open mm -hmm. enrollment process and we're thinking, okay, what's going to be high impact? What is really going to tell people we care, we care about your family, we care right. about your experience, we care about, you know, this year, a lot of it was like burnout, and mental health, and, yep. and, and flexibility, and all, and all those things. And so, 
you know, so, so we rolled out, you know, some, some, some new benefits this year. Um, and you know, I can't tell you how many times we've had a rollout where it's been like, there's been so much excitement and energy and we put all this, this communication, you know, time and energy and capital and a communication strategy and like maybe 4% of the employees elect it. Right. right. Or we look at utilization metrics. Low. I mean, yeah. it's so low. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, so yeah, it's just I, yeah. every person wants something different. And then you get, you get punished for it too, as the HR right. leader, because you get the, I don't want that. Why can't I have something else? <laughs> I was talking to, um, a VP of HR, who's at a pretty big biotech company recently. And he was like, I know I'm doing my job when everyone is equally unhappy. I was like, Oh, through the heart. Like, I know that's like the, the pain and suffering of HR is like, okay, I've made everyone equally unhappy by having all these things that everyone wants something different. Like that is just, just, it's not a sustainable system. And so it's, how do you get to something else? Like we actually ran a study. We looked at 4,500 of our users over three months and said 4,500 people, three months, how many different unique vendors could they possibly use? Because if HR was going to build that in-house, that's what they would have to do. Guess how many different unique vendors they used? Um, 13. 6,500. Oh my God. <laughs> so imagine no matter how many people you have, do 1.3 times the number of people on your team. That's how many vendors you'd have to have to reach personalization. We see over 90% utilization on our platform because everyone can do something different. The point is personalization. Everyone wants to do something different. You can't do that with vendors. It's just not possible. So, so what, what is the theory then that it's, that it's almost like a marketplace where you get a certain X number of dollars, you mentioned stipends, and then you yep. go out and you, you put it into your cart. Is that how it works? Ish. Um, there's no vendors because whether you build the list of 6,500 vendors or I build the list of 6,500 vendors, no one's scrolling through 6,500 vendors to find right. the one thing they want. So the thought process here is as a company, focus on outcomes and focus on things you want to support. Wellness, family, pets, student loan repayment, professional development, whatever the category is, but then turn it loose and let employees be grownups and decide what wellness means to them or what family means to them. Maybe family, maybe they're 22 with no kids and no spouse yet, but maybe they want to do something nice for their aunt or their mother. You know, maybe they do have kids and they want childcare. Maybe they're pet parents and they want to do pet insurance. It's letting the employee decide their own experience and turning that loose to them because you're really trying to drive that engagement. The engagement is the, the outcome you need to be looking at because if employees aren't using this stuff, it's not a retention tool and it doesn't attract anybody new. And so, and it's the more you put in, the noisier it is. And then employees just completely check out. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting um, approach. And I'm just, you know, one of the things that gives me anxiety in my role as a, as the decider of, yep. of benefits packages is, is this the right mix? Right. And, 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 and there's, I mean, to be perfectly honest, a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. Right. You can't, <laughs> how mean, could you, I, how could you possibly yeah. know? You'd have to know every single detail of every single person's life on your entire team. That's not, not even appropriate. <laughs> like you shouldn't right. have that level of detail. Right. Like, well, and the nature of bringing in individual perks is by nature of what they are is exclusive. 
anything you bring in excludes a group. It's only inclusive for a small group of people. You bring in fertility benefits. That's only going to work for people who are at a certain stage in their family journey and has that need. If you bring in student loan repayment, that's only for people who have student loans who want to refinance them. It naturally excludes everyone else. Whereas if you look at stipends and say, hey, we support family and wellness, by nature of it being a stipend, it's naturally inclusive. Everyone can use that in a way that is relevant for them. But you've been able to create the sandbox of what is important and what's the foundational thing that as a company you want to support. Because maybe you don't want it to be like, entertainment and do whatever you want, or, you know, maybe you don't care about pets or whatever the thing is, making it to where it's a comfortable sandbox for your team. It's, that's interesting. I just had this debate this year, by the way, the pet insurance debate, which it's like, so, and, and, you know, of course the way this works as an employer is it's like, should we offer pet insurance and you're, you're, you know, your benefits broker, or maybe you go out and do your research yourself and you're like, okay, it costs us X thousands of dollars. How many people do we think are going to use it? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, do we actually pay for some of it or is it right. just available for our employees to select? Right. Um, and then ultimately you put this, you bundle this whole package together and then you go to your, your CEO, CFO and say, okay, here's what we're thinking for the benefits package. And then they look through it and they go, yes, no, yep. no yes. exactly. <laughs> and red line, next, red line, right. Nope. And, and, and we literally had that. Um, and, and yep. you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in that meeting this year and we're talking about pet insurance and I'm like, okay, so pet insurance. So I think people might like this, but I'm not really sure. And then it's like X. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. You know, and it's just such a, it's just not really a scientific process. It's certainly not personalized. Right. Um, It's, it's an educated guess. um, And it might be wrong. Well, and it a hundred percent will be because again, every single person wants something different. And the, the hard part is even if you did an engagement survey and said, here are the benefits we have, which ones do you like? Which ones would you like to see? They're going to check everything and add 20. Like we tried that. It's, it's all of the above. It really doesn't give you any more data and you don't know if they used it once or if they used it every single month either, which is the other hard part, which is where from a CFO perspective, from a budget perspective, Stipends are brilliant because you can say, here's what we can afford. We can afford $100 this quarter. I don't care if you use it for your cell phone, your internet, your gym reimbursement, your babysitter, your whatever. It is $100. I am not giving you $100 for each of those things. I am giving you what we can afford. You choose your own adventure. It is a lot more cost effective and it allows the employees to decide what they want to do every single month or every single quarter and do that choose your own adventure thing. So it's just much better for both finance and HR and the employees. You know, what's, what's really interesting about this approach. I mean, my head, my head's, you know, I just said, I like shiny things, right? So my head's going all over the place, but the, you know, what's, what's also really interesting about this approach is it reminds me of, uh, I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had as I've been hiring, especially people who are under the age of 26, Yep. And I talked to him about, look at this benefits package, right? Like this is so competitive and, you know, we've been fighting hard to keep premiums low, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I'm on my insurance. I don't care. Yeah, (laughs) literally don't care. They're not going to know. And if it's, if it's a guy, they're literally not even going to use the insurance because unless something is broken, unless an arm is dangling a wrong direction, (laughs) they're not going to the doctor because men don't go to doctors until you hit 40, like for better or worse. Like that's, 
women start earlier, but they're literally not going to use it. And if they're like, all right, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Or they're on their parents. I can't even be frustrated with that stereotype. Cause I resemble that remark. It's like, yes, that's, that's correct. You're well, right. it's not, it's not a, I mean, you look at industry numbers, like it's <laughs> legitimate. Like there's just, it's a, a very interesting culture here. You don't do a wellness exam other than for sports and like high school and college. Like it's just, it's a very odd thing. Or if here. you get a hundred bucks off your insurance premium, then you'll do it right. The same no, you won't. They won't. <laughs> Less than 10% of people will even do it then. Like, it's interesting. One of our um, clients is actually an insurance brokerage and they were doing that exact thing. Like they are brokerage. They know how insurance works. And they had that hundred dollars. If you go do your, you know, health risk assessment and they pushed the team and they pushed the team and they pushed the team. 9% of the people filled it out, got the hundred dollars. They took the same money and put it on a stipend from Compt and said, all right, for your wellness, you get to do this. You know, you can go get your shoes or your whatever. And they have 90% utilization. Like, it's the same amount of money and you still have to do a thing to get the thing. And they'll, it's just, no one wants to go through their health insurance for anything. It's just a painful, painful process. That's just like, you know what? Can I just pay you to make it me not do that? <laughs> Cause I don't want to, it's like calling Comcast or your, you know, Verizon. No one wants to call. Like, please I'll pay extra. Just don't make me call them. That's funny. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to, I want to hit on here and, um, I, I thought they were really critical. I think one of them is w- what I what I refer to affectionately as the EEOC approach, right? Mm. Which is let's just make everybody equal. And and it, as you described it so well, it's like everybody is equally miserable yeah. <laughs> yeah. or equally frustrated. Right. Um, and, and and that is you know it, I don't I can't think of a better context to think about that in then employee benefits programs. <laughs> like, right. A hundred percent. It's like a, it's like a race to the middle of mediocrity and right. being comparable to the market. Um, and then I think the other thing that was really interesting that you mentioned, and I think, you know, the, the, what we've seen over the last few years. And as you look at things like uh, workplace flexibility and culture is you made the comment that we should treat people like grownups. Mm-hmm. Right. And I and I think that, and I've been a part of organizations where, unfortunately, the approach is to treat people like it's a daycare center, right? right. And and right. not have them be accountable or take ownership of of certain things. And so, so I, I'm curious to understand how you've seen this type of approach boost engagement. You know, so give me a couple examples of of, of how this this can work. Sure. Well, I think there's there's a couple of things there on the um, kind of the treating people like grownups. I mean, that's what employees want. We are all grownups. And there's this weird parental dynamic that started whenever it started. I don't know, long, long, long time ago of like, we're gifting you things. We're doing things to take care of you, our employees. You know, you are our children. You get allowances. I mean, even that term allowance, I just have such a visceral reaction to where it's, we're going to figure out what your needs are and we are going to take care of you. It's a very parental approach, which is just a bizarre thing when you think about it. Like we're all grownups. We're all within a certain age band, you know, between 20 and 65, like whatever. We're all adults here why are we being treated like there's, you know, people running HR are suddenly the parents in the organization who have to read everyone's minds. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, And I think in some places it's actually dangerous. 
as an HR professional, having to pick the mental health app that you're recommending to your entire team, I don't want that job. Like, how do I know? I'm not a trained per, like mental health expert. Why would I be responsible for something like that? It's just not fair to put on HR. When you start shifting that and shifting the thought process from we're a company and we just want to take care of, you know, our, our children, people, and thinking of more of a how do we how do we make this environment so amazing for our team that they can be their most productive selves? How do we support them? And you flip it to where it's much more of a support mechanism and much less of a gifting kind of top-down kind of approach. It changes the dynamic with employees. And that's where we see really cool things happen. So one example I can give you, actually, in one of my prior companies where I was CFO, my expense policy, I mean, it had to have been 50 pages thick. I had a rule for everything. And every single time a salesperson submitted an expense report, they broke some new rule found an edge case, which is, you know, HR's frequent nightmare, right? You put out a policy and then everybody's going to find the edge case. What I realized was that when you stop doing that and trying to put all these little shackles on people, they actually do the things you wanted them to do in the first place. So what's been interesting when we look at stipends is for the companies that want to get really, really strict, you can only use your wellness for a gym reimbursement or maybe yoga or like there's, you know, for activities. That's where employees get really confused. And they're like, but I wanted LASIK eye surgery. I had one company that was like, no, that's not allowed. I'm like, I don't get that. If your employees can't see, how is that not part of wellness? But okay, you want it for experiences. You do you. They're, they have more support questions and they've got slightly lower utilization than the companies that are saying, you know what, you're an adult, wellness means whatever wellness means. If that's groceries so that you can get healthier food for your family, if that's running shoes, if that's a gym reimbursement, if that's a television for your basement because you need to lose an extra 100 pounds and you don't want to go to the gym and you're building out your basement gym, we don't care. You are an adult. You make your life decisions. We're here to support that. That's where you create a different dynamic. That trust and that engagement factor creates a very different relationship with people's companies. And we just saw such cool things happen over the past year where um, a lot of plumbing, actually. So under the family category, we saw a lot of busted hot water heaters, busted toilets, busted dishwashers, and people going, I'm, I'm in the midst of chaos. Like I've got kids None of this stuff is working. I need to use my family stipend for that because that's what my family needs right now. That in the middle of a pandemic, an employee is absolutely going to remember that's how their company supported them versus a whole back and forth of, well, you can only use your family stipend for a babysitter. And you're like, we're literally on lockdown. (laughs) I can't get a babysitter. What are you even thinking here? So creating a different space for people creates a very different dynamic and a much higher retained employee. So new data for you. We actually looked at all the companies that started with us before the pandemic and how much they grew up until the beginning of November. On average, they grew 121% on their employee base. So not only retaining their people, but skyrocket growth. That is very atypical from what other companies are seeing in the market. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> the fifty page policy, you know that 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 just speaks long. to me. I can't tell you how many. <laughs> you know, it's um, it, it's it's fascinating um, to hear, you know, your experience and you know your background is you know COO, CFO, um, you know, with with 
you know, certainly some people leadership mixed in there and a, and a people centric focus, but, um, you know, it's so often in HR, we just, we, we lean on, uh, somebody, you know, somebody made a mistake. We better write a policy for this. Right. right. Or somebody the we, we define the problem as there's a lack of clarity on what the expectation is, as opposed right. to dealing with the individual behavioral issues right. <laughs> and right. we punish everybody for it. Right. Which <laughs> ends up punishing HR the most, because then you've got to maintain and manage a policy. Like we have that conversation a lot where, you know, for stipends, it's usually like a one-step review process. And there's a lot of, well, what if somebody submits the wrong thing or puts in a fake receipt or does whatever? And it's like, look, we spot check that too. It's 0.001% that are going to do that. Are you going to spend hours and hours and hours of your time to find that 0.001% or are you, one, you're going to go review the three people that you know are probably going to break the rules anyways, because every HR leader knows the three people that are going to try and break the rules or you just take and you go, instead of assuming they're going to steal $50, which they're not, and one wants to get fired over $50 worth of fraud, you go and you do a review and make sure that it matches up for your culture. And you do that once or twice a year. Like change the conversation from, are you stealing to, are you living up to our culture? And if you're not, get back in line, or maybe this isn't the right organization for you. It changes the dynamic of that conversation. It's much more of a management conversation than a, hey, here's the... 800 page policy of how to be an employee here that no one's going to read. And then you have to manage and it's just nightmare. It doesn't scale. Yeah, there's no, yeah. I mean, I, my, my perspective on policies is, um, you know, it should be a last resort, right? Like, right. like, you know, and you know, I, I've done more work to try to eliminate policies in my organization yep. than yep. create new ones or just like, like, fix them, you know, make them right. like three pages long as opposed exactly. to 75. But then you get the one person like the attendance policy. And then the one person's like, well, what if I'm on my way to work and I get abducted by aliens and I can't text you? And, <laughs> you know, like you get, <laughs> you get those kind of questions, um, et cetera. But yeah, that's, um, I, I think that's, that's very insightful, uh, from somebody that I'm, I'm sure has had to deal with that in their past. So a lot of the adopted by aliens, it's surprising how <laughs> frequently that comes up. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess so. You know, there's, um, there, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there, but uh, you know, <laughs> Hey, I guess they're legitimate concerns, you know, so yeah. I'm happy to help you work through that. But, um, the, uh, uh, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was, um, inclusion. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot over the last few years and, and it's, it's kind of been in the spotlight as, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how does having like flexibility and benefits or, or taking this approach with an organization help, help address that? Or, or, you know, the other question someone might, might be thinking is, is there a potential risk of an adverse impact or something like that? I think it's, I mean, the nature of moving to stipends versus picking and choosing specific things is that these are inclusive. So, you know, if you were to do childcare benefits, for instance, because you were trying to support, you know, younger parents or people with younger children, you know, that's only going to work for those people. You're naturally excluding people who are at a different stage in their life uh, by virtue of the benefit you're bringing in. Every benefit you're bringing in includes some people, excludes others. The purpose of stipends is to really remove that inclusion exclusion or remove the exclusion to where everyone can be included, which makes it a lot easier to, to have and support more diverse teams 
So example would be, you know, I don't think most, most organizations start out wanting to be homogenous and have, you know, really horrible diversity metrics. I think what happens is that an organization starts and it's a few people who know each other who are likely of a similar different demographic, whatever that is. And then they bring on more people just like them because of unconscious bias and all the things that go with it. And then you start building in benefits and you're like, Oh, what would I like? And then you bring in more of that. And then that ends up being more of the same people. And so this is a snowball effect. So when you get to be a hundred people and you're sitting around the table going, okay, our team is really not, you know, it's looking pretty one note right now. And you're, and I look at their benefits. I'm like, <laughs> you've got benefits that apply to one small subset of humanity. But of course, as a finance person, why would you pay for benefits for people you don't have? Of course, you're not going to pay for things for people you don't have. The beauty of stipends is you don't have to do that. You say, look, we want to support your wellness or your family or your whatever. And you decide where you are. So if you don't have kids, cool, there's still family benefits. Family benefits are not just for people with children. They don't need to assume that it's a mom and a dad and there's two kids who are ages five and seven everyone has a family, but every family looks different. So the nature of stipends is really creating a much more inclusive base around a theme that the company wants to support. And that's what's exciting to me because then you can do some cool talent branding on it as well. If you're lacking in some sort of diversity across the team, maybe you're struggling to get more seasoned people who have children, you've got a younger organization, you can promote the fact that you've got family benefits that support these types of things doesn't take anything away from the group that is there that doesn't have children. They can still have family benefits. They're just a different kind of family benefits. Maybe their family is doing a friend's giving with their friends because they don't live near their parents. That should be allowed. And so it's allowing for a much more inclusive base, which I think is just HR has been lacking actual tools. It's like you've been given the mandate, create diversity, equity, and inclusion magically. Like, here's zero tools. Just make it happen. This is actually a tool that is meant to be like, okay, but here's how you can do that. Here's how you can take those funds and actually create something that is by nature of what it is inclusive to where it's not trying to figure out like, oh, what benefits do women want? Like, that's silly. Like, that's, I mean, women want all kinds of things. We're half the population instead of trying to create this laundry list of things to create all of humanity in your organization, go the other direction, simplify, make it easier and let employees be the ones who are directing it. No, that, that's, that, that's really interesting. I think, you know, and I, I reflect on, you know, those, the, the approach of things like, like recruitment marketing and how are we, you know, how are we attracting and, you know, how, you know, we, one of the big things is, you know, make sure that you have a diverse talent pool, mm -hmm. but how are you even, yeah. How are you, how are you co going to market? Right. Are you, right. Are, do you have anything to actually share or do you just have like a pretty, like a flyer that says, Hey, we're inclusive and right. they walk in and it's a bunch of like a bunch the of same. white guys that yeah. are like <laughs> all went to the same school and like, right. uh, played, you know, played the same sport and watched, you know, and, right. um, you know, watch, watch the same thing on TV. <laughs> right. right, And that's where it's like that, that company may very well want to bring in more diversity, which is great. It's really hard to feel supported as the only or the first when you're joining that type of an organization. So one, the company has an uphill battle, but two, here's a way to start supporting 
other methods of supporting other groups of people without being like, what benefits support, you know, pick your group, because that is going to go very wrong very quickly. Yeah. So here's, here's a great example. As, as, as you were talking, you know, I, a couple, couple thoughts popped in my mind, a couple stories from, from years past. And, but I distinctly remember. So one of my, one of my first jobs in manufacturing was a, it was an HR generalist and I was working with somebody on an insurance issue and it was a, you know, it was a, um, a pretty challenging situation. It was related to pregnancy and, and, you know, some, some, some healthcare needs related to a, a pregnancy. And, uh, the employee was just extremely frustrated and, and, um, you know, me coming in there thinking, you know, I, I can help with this. I can help this. It, it come to find out that the, the way that the benefit was structured is, you know, a lot of the care that was given, mm. um, was not covered, you know, because of the summary plan description and, and, you know, we, we were kind of working through that, but, but at the end of the day, the answer was that, you know, I really can't help you because this is, this is how this is structured and there's not really a way around this and we can't violate this because this is how stop loss works, blah, blah, blah. And, um, she looked at me and she said, you know, this, this is a manufacturing environment. I get, there's a lot of guys here, but these benefits are not friendly to women. Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I don't know if I can agree or not but she's right, <laughs> you right. know, in my head. Right. And, and it's, it's, but it's situations like that where, you know, I, I think that HR has a responsibility to ask those questions before somebody's sitting in your office and, you right. know, in, in the midst of, of tears because there's not support and, right. or there's not a benefit that, that probably should have been there. Um, but it wasn't a thought because of that exact um, situation you just described, which is yep. the benefits were structured for the people that structured the benefits, yep. not for everybody else. Well, and I think that's where parental leave uh, is so powerful. And I love seeing the shift to parental leave because originally it was maternity leave, right? If there was even any leave at all. And so, because it was, you know, you have the old school guys who are like, oh, well, I was on the golf course when my kid was born. I'm like, you're a Eight terrible hours. father. Congratulations. Eight hours, high five, I'm golfing. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is not who, like, let's not promote that. What I love, 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 love is that with the newer generations, the, you know, the, the non-birth giving partner is demanding rights. And I love that because what's amazing is, uh, so one of the women who started the company with me, she had her first child here. She took the first 12 weeks off and she was full-time with the baby and she was physically having a child. So of course she needed time. But then her husband took the second 12 weeks. He had 12 weeks of parental leave from his company. That child had 24 weeks with two different parents. That is powerful, not for just for the child, but think about it. Like the birth giving parent, for whatever reason, it's been determined by society that, you know, oh, well, you're the one carrying it. So at the age of 13, you're responsible for their soccer schedule and pickup. When did that become part of the contract? Like that is not part of it. Whereas if you create a situation where both partners can be equal and share in that responsibility, it creates space for both partners to be able to go back to work versus, uh, you know, the daddy's little helper syndrome where mom is responsible for everything, but dad can help. And also not the situation of like one group checking out and not coming back to the office because there's no support for them. Like creating that, like I force like, 
I know I've got a lot of babies coming up on my team. I've got a lot of relatively recent marriages, a lot of people in their 30 somethings. Uh, and a lot of the men on the team are going to be taking significant time off. And that's my expectation because I know even though their wives and their partners are not part of my team, it's part of the greater good for their partners to have that support. It's going to create better little humans, but it just, it's better support for relationships. So I think that is one place I've seen a huge movement that makes me so, so, so happy um, to see that. And it's this millennial Gen Z group of men who have demanded it. And I really appreciate that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting um, to hear that. I think, you know, it's, it's the, the daddy's little helper helper syndrome, which I think Mm -hmm. is uh, that's a, that's a good name for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the other interesting thing there is, is, and I'll reflect on conversations I've had in years past uh, when I've had somebody who needs off more than, you know, their PTO bank, mm. a male who needs off more than their PTO bank to stay at home because God forbid, you know, their, their spouse isn't ready to bounce back and, right. you know, and, and, you know, two weeks or whatever their right. minimal PTO balances. But, you know, those conversations that you might be having with these individuals leaders and maybe their spouses didn't have to work either. Right. I mean, right. it's a different, I mean, the number of working spouses, it, two working spouses in the households has continued to increase year over exactly. year over year. You know, it's a different equation than it was yep. years Absolutely. ago. We have to be flexible to that. Yeah. Well, and that's where honestly, like the whole concept around personalization and what we're building here at Compt for me actually started around parental leave. So I don't have children. Uh, my wife and I decided that was not the path we wanted to go down. We prefer sleep. We're, you know, doubling down on sleep. It's great. <laughs> I get it. Um, <laughs> and so, but what I realized was like, why am I designing a parental leave policy for people when I don't have children? This makes no sense. As the finance person, I'm like, this is the amount of time we can afford to give you off. Why should I care if you're doing some of that part-time, some of that full-time out, like how you're structuring that? If first kid is different from a third kid, if you have in-laws that are helping, it's different than if they're not. If you have in-laws that are not really helping, that's different than if they are. Like, I don't want to be that much up in your personal business. I need to determine what we can afford as a company and hold it consistent to where we treat people fairly, but you design your parental leave policy because for a lot of the non-birth giving parents, they may not want to be out for 12 straight weeks, but maybe they want to do, you know, maybe mornings are a nightmare and they need to do half days, three days a week just to be there to help support the transition. And maybe that carries on longer than 12 weeks. I don't care. That's great. Do what you need to do. Here's what we can afford. You design your program. And so that was really kind of where this started, where I was like, okay, if it's parental leave, well, yeah, it kind of applies to everything else where everybody needs to be deciding their own things and not have me be deciding this for them. That's really, that's really interesting, really insightful. I think, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, geez, how do I, you know, where do I start? You know, I think, uh, what, what was just shared is something that I want to reiterate. It's, it's about what's right for the person. Right. And it's, but it's, um, you know, parental leave is one thing. It's about a culture of support and, Mm -hmm. and caring and compassion for what your employees are going through. And ultimately I think to, to one of your earlier points, that's what keeps people around. Yep. That's what keeps them engaged. That's what, that that's what makes them care about what your goals and objectives are at your organization. Right. <laughs> right. right. 
I remember um, this reminds me of a conversation I had with my wife a few a few weeks ago. And so and and we have we have three kids. So the whole like sleep thing, like <laughs> you haven't no, had it in a decade. I feel you. Um, now they're just old enough now where uh, we, I actually sleep a full, well, you know, six to seven hours if I can, if I can work that in. But, um, but I'm not interrupted three times in the middle of the night yeah. because of whatever, at least not typically. Um, but we were talking about loyalty, uh, my mm-hmm. wife and I, and, and she is, she's, she's exceptional and, and a great mother. And, um, we, we were talking about loyalty to an organization and, and, and the comment she made, and I think it was so right is, is why should I be loyal to a company if they're not loyal to me? hundred percent. Right. Well, defining loyalty, loyalty to me doesn't mean that an employee is going to stay with you forever. That's a very archaic thought of what loyalty is. Nobody sticks with the same job forever, nor should you. Like your career is going to progress. So on the company side, it's not expecting that you're going to try and keep someone forever. It's how do I create an amazing situation for you for this stage of your career? If I can keep you longer, awesome. But I want to make this stage of your career fantastic. This has to be an awesome step for you. And recognizing it's not forever on either side of the table. And that's okay. That's the way the world works now. And so changing up like loyalty used to mean you leave me, I'm never talking to you again, like as a company, which is, I mean, we've all had those jobs. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, that's silly. That's completely silly. Like life is long. Like this is a career step for people. And so thinking about it a little differently. Um, loyalty to me don't, from an employee side is that you don't leave me with two weeks notice and leave me high and dry. And if I've done the right thing by you and your career and supporting you, you're going to be like, you know what? It's time for me to think about something else. You know, I don't know what that is yet, but it's going to be in the next six months. And so we can work on a path to that together. If I've created a situation where that's the exit ramp, I've done my job. And I'm super happy about that because people are going to change things up and that's perfectly okay. That's such a different way to think about uh, employee offboarding, yeah. right? It, it, it's it's just, but I think that the organizations that understand that and the HR people yep. that understand that and intentionally structure an organization to to work within those confines is just going to have a lot less pain. Yes. over the next five to 10 years, because guess what? That's what's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Right. Exactly. So, we're all going to have turnover. I mean, yeah. my team's had turnover. I had, you know, an amazing, amazing marketer leave because she's got, you know, twin two-year-old girls who are the cutest thing on the planet. And she was like, you know what? I want to freelance write. I just want to write. And she's a brilliant writer. I was like, cool. She's still working with us, but she's like the whole like 40 hours a week is not what I want to do right now. I'm like, okay. I got it. I can't wait for her girls to hit some older age when I can snag her back. Yeah, but yeah. I get it. Like she's at a different stage of life and she's designing her life for what works for her and her family as she should. That is not a lack of loyalty to me. That is doing the right thing by her family. And those do not need to be mutually exclusive. If anything, the loyalty is the, and circling back to the grown up thing to do right. <laughs> right. And, and having the respect uh, with your employer to share that, right. that, that desire, that need, that career aspiration right. and, and then work on it together. Exactly. Collaboratively, as opposed to exactly. hiding in the shadows and like right. getting ready to do this freelance thing and like trying to line up a job and then going like, Amy, I'm sorry, I have to quit. 
uh, right. leave me in two weeks, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's awkward for both of us in that scenario where it's like, I know you've been sneaking around, but yeah, it's right. not hard to figure Something's out. Like, it's on. just, yeah. it's just awful. Like <laughs> I'd rather have something that's a much more, you know, comfortable environment for people to be their whole selves. Right. It's such a different way of thinking. And someone for like coming from my industry, like, you know, old school manufacturing, 130 year yeah. old company, you know, like yeah. the, we just celebrated a guy who's been here 45 years, right? Like amazing shifting the context right. to somebody might only be around for five years max before that's they get so cute. bored. Wow. Yeah. Five years. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know that's I, I not a lot in your too. world. Like <laughs> if I get somebody 18 months, I'm psyched. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I really do think it's like, it's, 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 it's just where our society's going, yeah, right? It's, it's totally it's, different. It's our right. approach to work. It's our attitudes. It's, you know, I do think there are people that really want that stability that want to, yep. you know, that that is a desire of theirs. They want to work the same place, be comfortable, totally. You know, swim with the current and not make waves and wake up every well, morning and know everybody. I think they they're realizing the whole big company long-term thing is a misnomer. It just mm -hmm. means you're not going to know when you're going to get laid off. Right. Earlier stage companies who recognize this are going to design for that. Big companies, they're going to come in and do layoffs when they need to, and you'll have no idea it's coming. So like the whole big company, you know, long-term play, it only works in one direction. It only works for the companies. You just don't know when it's coming. Well, and let me tell you, it, it's sitting sitting in the seat I sit in, you know, there's nothing worse than knowing it's coming and right. having to have that conversation right. with someone who's been here for five years. Yeah, the worst. Sorry, division's getting yeah. you know shut down. So right. here's a severance check for a couple of weeks. Good luck. Right. Right. It's the worst. Right. So so to that point. If you want 120% growth and all sorts of <laughs> inclusion and, um, and engagement, you know, it sounds like a, a really uh, interesting approach to it, an innovation that I'm certainly going to check out. Uh, we haven't figured out what our wellness program is yet. So nice. you know, this is a little we bit. We work small. with a lot of manufacturing <laughs> construction. So the, um, we actually work with a lot of folks who have similar demographics to your team. Perfect. Perfect. Um, with that being said, uh, we are coming to the end of our time together and I want to be respectful of your time. Clearly you are a, a busy, busy person, uh, but we're going to shift gears and do the rebel HR flash round. Fun. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite people book? Uh, I really like work rules by Laszlo Bach first chief people officer. I think he's the first one I've ever had the title, uh, but he was out of Google uh, it's a massive, massive book, but so data-driven. Uh, they did lots of A-B tests of all kinds of HR theories and philosophies and functions and then pulled data together. So I'm a data junkie, so it's a big, I'm a big fan of the book. I'm right there with you. I could, yeah. I could dig through the statistics oh, yeah. so good. all day long. So uh, my favorite question is, is this legitimate or is this just a feeling? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, do I feel like this is a good decision or exactly. is this actually a good decision? <laughs> I like to have data to at least sway right. one way or the other. Right. Okay. We're going right back to the whole CFO thing. So exactly. that's why I get along with accountants. Cause I'm like, exactly. you know, I, I'm usually the one going like, we shouldn't pay that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Uh, the two people that I'm following a lot right now, Heather Deshaies. Uh, so she is an amazing chief people leader that is 
all over the place right now. She just joined a VC and is working on their um, people team, uh, but has a lot of experience in remote teams. The other person that I follow a lot is Shelby Volpa, who was the first chief people officer at Envision, which was one of the first remote first companies. They were doing this years before the pandemic. Both of them have such amazing perspective on transitioning and shifting teams into remote environments the different management tools you need to put in place, the different tool tools you need to put in place. Like they are both absolutely incredible. Love it. I'm not familiar enough to check those out. So appreciate the, uh, the hot tip. And um, I I do feel like, you know, it's like these, like these virtual work experts that, you know, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's like, like good for them. Like they, you know, like, like a futurist that was actually right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like they design systems that we all need (laughs) right now. (laughs) It's like they're a moment in the spotlight. So exactly. All right. Last question. How can our listeners connect with you? I, you can reach me either at my email, amy at compt.io or on our website, www.compt.io. And that's compt, it's C-O-M-P-T dot I-O. So we'll have all that information in the show notes um, and strongly encourage you to check it out. If it, if it was interesting to you, um, you know, it's, it's a different take on benefits. From my perspective, it sounds a whole lot easier than what I do today. Um, and uh, I'm definitely uh, interested to learn more. So, Amy, really appreciate you spending some time with us here today and uh, appreciate you uh, disrupting the world of work uh, for a positive uh, difference here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.